board that I saw that could pay a living wage other than this. And we and my first paycheck here uh, was not. I mean, no one was making a fortune. Welcome back to Young Smart Money. My name's Apple Crider, and I'm your host. In this episode, we're interviewing somebody who is very prominent in the Madison startup scene, especially Madison, Wisconsin, that is, uh, where I'm based out of and where I go to school. And he's somebody who is really executing and not so much on the social media front because a lot of the people that I have on this show are social media influencers, people who are doing big things online. Scott Resnick, though, is somebody who is much more focused on his actual business and really developing that than he is at creating a social presence for himself. Just to give you guys some context of what this dude is up to, um, he and his business partner started this company. It's called Hardin Design and Development. And what they do there is they basically work with some huge huge companies, um, FedEx, Coleman Campers, Mercedes-Benz, IBM, Toyota, some of these huge, huge companies, and they design like mobile apps for them. They design like dashboards, and they're doing some complex software solutions for some big name players. So these guys are making a good amount of money through the work that they do. Um, I interviewed them in person at their office on the beautiful Lake Mendota. So um, without further ado, we're just going to hop into the show and welcome Scott Resnick to Young Smart Money today. All right, Scott, how are you doing today? Good, and yourself? I am doing just fantastic. All right, so Scott, the first thing that I've been starting my interviews off lately is I'm gonna say one word and I wanna hear your gut reaction. Is it a positive or negative? All right, you ready for me? Sounds good. The word is entrepreneur. Positive? All right. So I, I love entrepreneurship. Okay. But when you just hear it in the buzzword context, I wanna be an entrepreneur. Mm. There's so many different woven layers into that one word. 100%. And it's diving through what someone is trying to accomplish with a goal. Mm. And there are there's entrepreneurship in all different areas and facets of life. Okay. The question becomes, are you referring to it in, I'm trying to build a high growth startup, I'm trying to build a disruptive company. Those are two different, you know, or I'm trying to do better by the world. Yeah. Those are all different, radically different in, you know, inputs and outputs to the word entrepreneurship. I can find certainly disruptive companies that are high growth, very exciting, but probably doing worse for the planet and the world as a, as a whole. Mm. I can find different combinations of entrepreneurs that are trying to build high growth companies, trying to do great things, you know, that are also have a double, triple bottom line that are trying to improve the planet that we inhabit and doing disruptive pieces at the same time. And that makes me incredibly excited. Yeah. So so you can see that there certainly is a, a positive and negative reaction to that word. 100%. And for you, it sounds like it's a lot of it is about the goal and like what the person has in mind when they say the word entrepreneur. That's that's sort of one of the driving factors for you behind whether it's a positive or a negative. Well, it was certainly. Um, you could do the angels and demons, which is another variation mm -hmm. of this. And I can mention a company and ask you what your reaction to it is. Sure. Facebook, angel or demon? I would say Angel. All right. Walt Disney, Disney Company, Angel or Demon? I would probably still say Angel. Now, Ford. That one I'm going to say Demon. So why do you say Demon? Uh, just the negative connotation I have, I guess, with, I mean, as a shareholder of Ford, um, a, couple of, a couple of negative connotations, but I mean, just with, I don't know, the environment in general. and Mercedes-Benz. Demon. All right, why? 
still, I mean, I'm just not, I'm not a car person, so I can't really get behind. So you, you can look at certain companies and you take Facebook, for example. Yeah. You take a look at what is happening with digital and data privacy. Yeah. It is a company on the angel side that has done remarkable things for society. It's connecting yeah. humans like we've never been connected before. 100%. However, it is also a company at times that will prey on outrage. Yeah. That will actually want you to get into fights. Yeah. I mean, I've seen relationships break up over Facebook. I've seen friends who can't talk to their parents because mom or dad mm. is believing in conspiracy theories. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I have one or two parent, you know, one or two family members myself that I I almost always cringe when I see a new post from uh. Facebook. So is it actually a company that might be tearing people apart? Mm. So Everything is in a balance, and when you look at a company like Facebook, you know, yes, you have positive and negative reactions in almost everything in life. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I completely, completely agree with that. And and coming back to the term entrepreneur, I think it is something that a lot of people are just throwing around. Like every other student at UW is is saying they're an entrepreneur and saying that they're going to start the next big clothing brand or the next big like fitness revolution. And I, I think there's there's a big disconnect between. Uh, an entrepreneur and a successful entrepreneur and what it actually takes to it really just grow something to a point where where it actually is something because so many people have an idea and they think they're an entrepreneur so you know on that point I get you know you have an opportunity as an entrepreneur this is the first time and I'll say entrepreneurship has changed my life mm -hmm. truly is building a, a company that you're now sitting in yeah. right now yeah. um, the the pathway of my life and what it's provided my wife my family has been tremendous yeah. i grew up in northern wisconsin uh, to what i thought was a middle class family then i came down to the university of wisconsin realized i was probably in the lower middle class mm. uh, now what that has provided me is you know astronomically different in in my trajectory so I hear entrepreneurs will meet with me regularly and tell me what they're working on. Yeah. And I'll hear student entrepreneurs, and it's the one time in your life that you can try swinging for the fences. Many individuals mm. who are in college, they, you know, if everything fails, you know, this is the time for that exploration, particularly when you're young in life. I took a risk yeah. uh, with a business partner, and our first company ended up failing miserably. But it was our second company that ended up having success. Starting my junior, senior year, we realized something was going to work out. And then you know, we pursued it forward. So it's really important then in the early and formidable days to just try a risk. So I'll get an entrepreneur who will come up with me and he'll say, I'm a, running a new startup here on campus and I'm trying to sell uh, more drinks at a local campus bar. Mm -hmm. And we're going to go sell coupons to get more people drinking on campus mm -hmm. and we'll make money while we're doing it. And they'll say, will you help me out with this idea? And I almost always come back to them and say no. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is... That's not changing the world. No. Getting more people drunk <laughs> on a Saturday night is in needed. Madison, especially. In Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> you know, there's many out you know, many outlays to get your hands on alcohol. Yeah. We don't need to have you know, that's not the it's a type of exciting startup. Versus, you know, another student who said, you know, I have these new ideas for the Badger Loop. I I believe we can you know, I can use my physics background to try to, you know, improve upon Elon Musk's vision. Mm -hmm. of of um, transportation yeah like those like are yeah, those drastically. are uh, drastically different you know different definitions they go back to say are both individuals entrepreneurs mm. yes yeah 
are one of those two do I get excited about because they're trying to change the world at the same at the same time. Mm. So what I would ask folks to do is is think through is how are you not only being disruptive but how are you really tackling a big problem? And if you're tackling that kind of problem for an you know for other individuals, you'll find success in life. Hmm. So what are what are some of the strategies that you see being most effectively applied by aspiring entrepreneurs? to find these problems that are worth solving because there are there are so many things that you could go after. So I'll, I'll throw out a problem and then how uh, an entrepreneur is, is trying to solve it. Uh, there was a college student who noticed how much of a pain it was to pay their rent bill directly by check. Hmm. Every single month they would have to go bring their roommates together all deliver one single check to the landlord. How would that be broken up? Uh, mm -hmm. It was sort of an archaic process. Yeah. There was always one roommate who was probably the least responsible out of the <laughs> bunch. Every day is tacked on a potential penalty or just that psychological piece. I forgot to pay a bill. Yeah. So is there a way to make that easier? So you know, the, this you know, this entrepreneur could take a look at that problem and say, "All right, can I introduce online credit card trans transactions? Mm -hmm. What are the risks and the rewards? What are the payment fees to that? Mm -hmm. Can I create a company like Splitwise to make sure mm -hmm. that all of my roommates are always plugged into that? Can I aggregate certain payments throughout the year that maybe one organization does an ACH transfer or a, a money money order transfer to try to solve that problem?" So I I truly believe the way you tackle these problems are trying to focus on something that is impacting you in your day-to-day -day life mm. and and see how that opportunity could how you may be able to shape that opportunity the first company that we tried establishing uh, we had this idea back in 2006 okay. that folks would want to be able to watch tv online no way yeah, sure enough. Uh, and we were toying with that. You know, pretty much there were other companies out there. There was Juiced and a few other products. But we saw the opportunity. Yeah. That we saw that we were watching other content. And that if we could only get high quality content into one place to be able to stream online. And it was working through those technical limitations. Working, you know, really the bounds of what video streaming services allowed at the time. We were not successful at this, but pushed the idea as far as our own limits. And it was those lessons that we learned that actually created the second company. Mm. So what I would say is try to attack an opportunity. Try to put as much energy into it and know that you might not win in the end. Yeah. <laughs> but it's those experiences that you might be able to pull from it that will treat you well into the future. 100%. And I really like to dive deep into some of the early failures of entrepreneurs that have brought them to the place that they are now. So can you talk a little bit more about some of those lessons that you did learn from that first business where you were trying to, to bring TV online? Yeah, so I would say so much of our early experiences, even at the, at the current company, was we would watch others, uh, you know, sort of the fake it until you make it mm. movement. And you would see that we were in part of that game. You know, you would hear whether, you know, at that time it wasn't necessarily podcasts, but read books and interviews on other successful entrepreneurs, seeing, you know, the culture and the lifestyle of entrepreneurship. Um, 
following the different buzzwords and terminology, yeah. trying to talk the talk, but not understand that really at the end of the day, it's about building a sustainable business. Hmm. And that took us years to figure out that many of these lessons about how do we understand our product, how do we build a product that customers like, how do we uh, understand our sales pipeline and some of the more fundamental building blocks are way, way, way more important than one extra media hit hmm. or um, you know one extra shout out by a famous entrepreneur. Uh, I've done that side of the entrepreneurial culture. Uh, now I don't find a whole lot of value to it. Hmm. Um, you know, but there there is really a part of just simply. How do you grow a business? Hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's that's really the the question that you do have to be answering, and, and you have to figure out what you're going to do to get from step A to step B. And a lot of times, people do get caught up in those smaller details, the nitty gritty, and, and they forget to see that the bigger picture of what they're actually working on and what they're actually trying to achieve. And I think that's a huge, huge issue for for younger entrepreneurs in particular, uh, myself included, really just getting caught up in all the minor details instead of the, seeing the bigger picture. Well, and so often entrepreneurs will focus too much on the outcomes and not enough on, uh, or outputs and not enough on the inputs. Mm. So here's a good example where I will go see, you know, there's a, a startup company where they'll show what their numbers were for the previous year. Okay. And they might get a great media, you know, might get a great media hit to say, They've grown from one employee to 27 employees essentially overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, they get a media story about it. It's the next big thing oh, in yeah. blockchain, <laughs> in cryptocurrency. And, and by the way, they were your fintech entrepreneurs the year prior. And usually the ones that, you know, if, they're, if you're bouncing from industry to industry, it's almost always a red flag. Mm. But particularly those who you'll see the metrics of a company and say, you know, do you really have 27 employees? Mm. Are they really full-time employees? Yeah. Are they equity-based you know, comp employees? And almost always those are the ones that when you peel back the onion, mm. you realize you know, don't have the longevity yeah. or don't have uh, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, they don't have the goods at the end of the day. And many of the largest companies and many of the largest brands and ideas that we know about and we can talk about you know, didn't happen overnight. It no. was blood, sweat, and tears over a long period before they ever became a household name. And I think a lot of that we we forget, we miss when we talk about entrepreneurship. 100%. 100%. So can you talk about how that first business venture, that failed business venture, sort of led into your next project and what that next project looked like? So for us, uh, you know, really it was the individuals who were in the first company um, originally was about eight individuals that were involved in the first company uh, and several of them split off Uh, and one of those companies John Harden who is the the CTO of that company Mm -hmm. uh, pulled aside and said you know what we're going to we we did not come with our own product we were not successful in bringing that to market but what we should do is we should just go online primarily on Craigslist and just hit that up and see if anybody will pay us to do web development so Mm -hmm. our first First buzzword, you know, the, our first quote is, "We will do any development for any dollar amount." And the reality was, you know, how do we compete with the overseas and out offshore developers? We were a number of college students. Um, my business partner is still one of the best programmers out there, and he could, you know, just program at a rate that was faster than anybody else. 
So we would partner up with a few of the other ones. You know, I think it ended up being four of the uh, individuals that were in the first company moved on to the second company, so just about half. Mm -hmm. uh, today, uh, my business partner and I are the only two that are from that original <laughs> concept, um, but the others are doing well and still uh, actually in the startup industry. And yeah, we started hammering away Craigslist. We would send out about 100, you know, well, we knew that there was a metric for Craigslist. Okay. If we send out 100 cold emails, emails mm -hmm. we could get five responses oh, and for wow. every 20 responses we could land one project wow so you can <laughs> so you can run those metrics but literally what we would do is spend you know more and more time perfecting our pitch yeah so we would see what language works in an email versus what doesn't and it was just that simple. And then we would try tweaking it. Yeah. We were doing A-B testing before we knew what A-B testing was. <laughs> but you know, slowly we were able to improve that rate and then start getting projects in the door where we would be doing the, the development for. Um, that ended up growing into essentially what now is hardened design and development. And as we grew, we, we have changed our business model now several times over. Uh, now we mostly work with enterprise customers. Mm -hmm. uh, we've moved from Craigslist to Fortune 500s. <laughs> yeah. And primarily we'll, be, we'll work with um, startups who are not, you know, who I would say are repeat players. Hmm. Uh, individuals who either uh, know what their company is looking for and we will build out the technology solution for them. Hmm. So we've had everything from serial entrepreneurs who, will, who we will essentially build out their technology stack, companies like uh, FedEx, uh, Dollar General, American Family Insurance, other large enterprise that we now work with, essentially helping them spin off their startup companies and, wow. new, and new products. So yeah, you, you guys have definitely come a long ways from the uh, Craigslist side of things to the Fortune 500 side of things. But, and, and that essentially occurred over 10 to 12 years. Really? So, I mean, that evolution you know, takes time and obviously we morph, but we understood that if we delivered a good product with satisfied customers, you know, we could, you know, our business could thrive. So it's taken time to piece together all of those elements, but uh, you know, this, at this juncture, uh, we're satisfied with it. Was there ever a tipping point where you, where you found that this could actually be a legitimate thing that you could take to a place like this? Or was it all just like one step at a time over time? There are, you know, we, we, I don't worry about this as much anymore. Sure. But there were there was certainly a time six, seven years ago where my business partner and I would check the bank account constantly. Mm. And I think we could account for almost every single dollar in the company. Wow. Uh, because we knew we had to make payroll. And even when we had a very small payroll early on, you know, it might have been a thirteen thousand dollar payroll, but we knew you know we had to have X dollars in the bank account. Now we're at a very different position. So I would say the tipping point happened when we weren't constantly checking our bank accounts. Hmm. We just had the comfort that we knew the cash was there. Um, we're still very um, diligent with our money. Yeah. We're, we are probably more conservative than than most other startups. But you know we've transitioned from that point from a, a startup to an established business, and I, and I will tell you, being an established business uh, has its perks. Really? Oh yeah. 
when you're not worried about where your round of financing is coming mm-hmm. from or you don't have to look over the horizon, you know, we have other issues of how will technology change over time, sure. which we have to be on the forefront to. Mm-hmm. You know, our business may have to shift and, and we expect that. But um, things like understanding your model, knowing that you're going to go in cyclical waves, knowing that, for example, we always have a great November and December, and usually January and February we struggle each single year. Hmm. And it's just simply how our cash flow, you know, works from a from a company, you know, from a company standpoint. And you know, the first time we saw that, we panicked. You know, yeah. <laughs> back in year one, year two, we thought it was a fluke. You know, at year six, seven, eight, when it's the same exact thing each year, you get to be more comfortable in it. Hmm. So, is that comfort a place where you can find complacency, or are you guys still very much? working on growing the business and, and really bringing it to those next levels, even though you have gotten to this place where you can kind of get in a groove? It, you know, it, you know, complacency is, is, is one thing that is always a threat to a particular, with, with any yeah. business, because, you know, then you understand that you can be disrupted by yeah. being complacent. Uh, you know, however, you know, I do think that it is important to, to understand what you want out of a company or hmm. an, an endeavor, you know, some individuals go into, you know, say, why are you going to become an entrepreneur? And, and early on, like, I just needed a job. I had graduated <laughs> at the right at the end of the recession. I had almost no money in my bank account when I graduated college. So entrepreneurship was a, a necessity. Yeah. So there was really no pa- other pathway forward that I saw that could pay a living wage other than this. And we and my first paycheck here uh, was not I mean no one was making a fortune. Uh, it was a it was a challenge but everyone was experiencing challenge and struggles. Uh, and my joke that I often say is I wouldn't want to be the first unemployed poli-sci major out of the University <laughs> of Wisconsin. So, you know, entrepreneurship made, it was more of a, a decision on a necessity. Hmm. There's a chance that if I had offers from Google or Facebook or Microsoft, I may have not taken that entrepreneurial route. But because I didn't see those offers being made, this is the, the decision that was, that was in front of me. And I think that's a rational decision. Uh, right now, uh, you have to ask yourself, why are you doing this? And if it's just for dollars, almost always you will fail. 100%. I mean, the, the number of, it's very, very rare that uh, those are the entrepreneurs that end up having success, or usually their success is dictated by other factors that were very much independent from their own workings. Um, however, if it is, you know, I look at it and I'm like, I, we've been offering, uh, I wanted to go to an environment that I had fun going to work every single day. And that meant treating our employees right. So mm-hmm. we still to this day uh, cover uh, all of our employees' health insurance costs. Wow. We've been doing that, you know, for the last 10 years wow. before it was cool. <laughs> um, we have, we've changed our policies from unlimited vacation policies to actually more structured programs because we realized for employee health and structured programs became more beneficial to our general employees. Hmm. 
even though we had unlimited uh, vacation days, we found that some employees were not taking a single day, <laughs> and that's why we ended up putting minimums on our on our on, on our program. Um, we have IR, you know, IRA to ensure that every employee is is thinking about a retirement, even when they're coming in at the age of you know 21, 22, 23 years old. So we're proud of those elements that we've been able to create. Uh, that I get much more reward than than saying my business grew X percent this year. Hundred hmm. percent. So when you mentioned way back when in the very first company, how you guys had eight, was that eight co-founders? Eight co-founders. Wild. So with, with this company, it was just you and your co-founder? Uh, we had uh, another co-founder, but eventually uh, it became uh, John and myself. Okay. And for the, the mature phases of our company, it's been John and myself. So how do you manage starting a company with somebody else? Because personally, majority of the projects that I've worked on have been pretty much exclusively me. So I don't have that much experience working with much less an eight person team, even just somebody else. So can you can you run through that a little bit? It comes down to trust. Okay. And and amplifying each other's skill sets. If you were to see John and I in the same room, you would realize almost immediately we both have our strengths and we both have our weaknesses. Mm. Um I can say right now, you know, very definitively, he's in the upper echelons of programmers uh, in the, the city of Madison, the state of Wisconsin, and likely in, in the nation. Wow. Uh, I deal with another side of the business. Yeah. So that's what John wants to be able to focus on. And, and although he can certainly deal with some of the other components to it, um, my role is to be out in the community, to do sales, to be able to bring in partnerships, um, to think about those disruptions that could occur to the company. So we have our, you know, we have our our strengths and our weaknesses in that. Mm. Um, we amplify each other, and it's having that kind of trust. When you look at well-oiled, well-functioning machines. It's where, one, you can trust the person that you're working with, but you expect excellence in all facets of their work. Mm. And I will say the person that probably John wants to least disappoint is me, and I mm. want to least disappoint John. Uh, and that's why I always try to encourage individuals to try to find those individuals who help bring turn your weaknesses into your strengths Hundred percent as a team. And as a young person, what are some of the best ways to do that? Because I'm assuming you met John at school. Uh, what are what are some of the best places to, to look for? We met in the dorms, but it's just getting out and meeting other individuals. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's something that was somewhat fortunate. We happened to be the two individuals that were up at two thirty in the morning <laughs> because we one um, were focused on other things. You know, you know, focused on you know, side, you know, side hustles if, if you if you mm -hmm. would. Um, but we were both watching the Brewers, you know, and, and, and reviewing the games the night before. So, you know, there are certain personality traits that, that do match. Hmm. And, and what are some of, how do you, how do you know if, if you're going to mesh well with somebody? And what are the sort of, yeah. I, I'll say you don't always know over time. Okay. And there are different times in each company or, or just personal, you know, it was you, as you go through life, you realize there are different times you need different mentors at different points. Mm. That's just like with, with co-founders. Um, at this point, um, you know, we've put in years together, yeah. and I would assume we're going to be working for years after that. 
Um, but but that does change. Yeah, and that and that's and I think it's healthy to know and recognize that early on. Uh, I'll meet with a number of of companies who will say, I'm trying to build and bring X to market. I'm trying to go out to bring uh, venture capital into this idea. And here's the team of three individuals. Here's my CEO, my CTO, and my CFO of the company, all under the age of 25, all really excited about this product. And the and sometimes the reality is, hey, if you grow this into a hundred million dollar company or even a unicorn, <laughs> your CTO has his bachelor's in this, yeah. or your your, your C- CFO, you know, she just graduated from an MBA program. I don't know if she can do, you know, the fiscal auditing yeah. of of, uh, of a major firm. So you have to know that at different times, things will change, but always to say like, what are you trying to get out of a project? And can you be compensated properly for that? And you know, sometimes that's not the, the billions of dollars that some people get allured yeah. to. It is what is the experience and fair, and, you know, fair compensation for hmm. those experiences? 100%, and you really do have to be attached to the process if, if you want to get to a place, like you said, if you're just doing it for the money, it's, it's going to be really tricky for you to stick with it when the times get tough, which they will. Yes. And one thing you mentioned in there was, was mentors. And I'm always curious to hear about the role of mentors in the, the lives of different entrepreneurs and whether or not mentors have had, had a large influence on you and your ability to grow uh, these various companies. So can you talk a little bit about whether you have had a very strong mentor in, in your business life or, or if that has not been something that's been very present for you? I, at almost all junctures, I've had a, a mentor. Uh, very rarely is it ever in a formal relationship, hmm. but there's always someone that I am looking towards for guidance and advice uh, and almost through osmosis to be able to watch a professional do something better mm. than yourself. So I, I look at, um, at at some of the, I can work my way backwards. You know, there was a point where I realized, you know, the startup was going well, but it was time to take that next step into professional management. It was one thing when I knew all of the employees, it's a very different, you know, at a very personal level yeah. because they were my friends. It's a very yeah. different, different than when you're bringing on managers to manage other employees. So at that point, I, you know, it was finding individuals in the community who have run, you know, multi-million dollar companies and saying, you know, this is a person that I want to work under just to see how they operate in a business capacity. Hmm. That was at one juncture of my life. Okay. Um, earlier, yeah, that's a really obvious example. Um, you know, what I would say for, for, you need a mentor that is reflective of the stage of your current career. And I usually try to say, find someone that is five to 10 years away from where you want to be. Interesting, why five to 10? Because that is a palatable number. Okay. Yeah, you can, you know, you can see the pathway. If I said, here's your new mentor, this is what they've done 25 years from now, it's not, re- it's often not relatable. 100%. It, it's that, you know, complete, you know, not, it's not relatable. 
often their path is very rarely a straight line. Yeah. And there are other market conditions that change what those lines look like. So, um, you know, for example, you might see someone at the top of their career and, you know, reflecting back, you know, 25, 30 years, well, women didn't, you know, progress to this side of management. So yeah. it was just a different yeah. ball game. You know, we did, you know, we, we have seen where um, everything from race, inclusion, gender equality, um, equality for sexual orientation has changed just how businesses talk about inclusion yeah. uh, over the last 25 years. So all that can be forgotten if you're yeah. looking at, you know, maybe the CEO mentoring someone right out of college. Exactly. That's why I try to focus on someone that is, you know, that is closer to your, you know, that, that you can see, wow, I want to be there five to 10 years from now. Mm. Because they can talk about that journey in much more concrete and finite steps. Um, if I were to talk to, you know, yourself as a college student and I were to say, go back and try to mentor someone who's in high school versus someone who's in middle school versus someone who's in elementary school, <laughs> you know, you probably don't remember every decision you made exactly. in fifth or sixth grade. The same idea applies later on. So as I've gotten older, my mentors have changed. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, you know, for example, you know, I don't need, you know, you don't necessarily need the CEO of a company to be a strong mentor right out of college. Mm. What you probably need is that individual who's a little bit further down, you know, the, you know, a little bit closer to you. That's exactly why I started this podcast, because there's so many people out there hearing from Jeff Bezos or Elon gonna, Musk. I was going to use Jeff in my example. <laughs> uh, and, and, and the reality is, even for myself, Jeff Bezos would not be a good mentor no. for me. Because one, he's dealing with a lot of legal issues right now. Oh, yeah. um, however, even if he had, I and mean, it's not that I wouldn't learn you know, significantly, but I actually yeah. think my own growth would be halted um, by having a mentor at that level versus, you know, what might be, a, you know, a, another C-level executive or a VP level, you know, inside Amazon. That's for me knowing where I am personally. Um, you know, so keeping that perspective in mind uh, as you are going through that growth path. A hundred percent. And that self-awareness is, is definitely, definitely essential. And honestly, it's, it's, for me, hearing from people who are, like you said, just a couple steps ahead of you is so much more relatable and so much more beneficial than hearing from somebody who's like the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Like, I can't relate to that. I'm 20 years old. I can't relate to a 50-year-old who's been in the game for 30 years uh, doing who knows what. Like, for me, it, yeah, it's just so much more beneficial. Yeah, and, and there's, there's ways at different points to get information. Yeah, yeah. So I listen to several podcasts every single day. Um, and just to understand, you know, not only what, you know, those next individuals are listening to, but just to enrich my own, you know, my own thought around business, around disruption, around innovation, around entrepreneurship. Mm. So, you know, listening to uh, Harvard Business Review and idea and, and their and big ideas inside business, mm. listening to TechCrunch's equity on a regular basis so I know what's going on in Silicon Valley and mm -hmm. in the venture world. Uh, uh, Anatomy of Next, which mm. is talking about, you know, in this current season, how would we actually have life on Mars? 
wild. <laughs> and everything from how structures, you know, units of housing change if we're on the planet. How do we bring, you know, water and resources uh, to a colony that would be, you know, <laughs> uh, you know that far yeah. from our own planet? So all of these different pieces just to understand, you know, where the future technology is going, um, it's always enriching yourself. Yeah. And I... I tend away from others you know other podcasters say you know there are many out there to say how do you get you know how do you get rich quick how do you execute on a really simple idea you know for me it's about that entire journey of, 100%. of life yeah completely completely agree and and there's definitely yeah like you said bits and pieces you can take from different places at different times but it just comes down to knowing like what you need in this moment that's going to help you get to that next step and that next step and that next step and and for me it's it's really important to keep in mind like what are my goals right now and what things can i be learning right now to accomplish my goals right now mm-hmm. so really really with you on that now i want to hit uh, a little bit on some of the big companies that you've been able to work with uh, because you, you are working with some big names um, from mercedes-benz to um, like fedex i believe as well so can you talk a little bit about how you made those connections and really what what that relationship has looked like because those are some those are some big companies you're working with yeah so what i will say is a lot of our work is protected by not, uh, sure, <laughs> sure. confidentiality agreements so i would love to tell you about what some of these companies are rolling out but what what i will say is the way we are connected is again focusing on our product we have spent almost no money on marketing really I would say at this point it's under $10,000, and I don't know if we've effectively used any of that. In like 12 years? In 12 years. Wow. And and this is the, the real difference is if you take that out of your budgets, you can create a very <laughs> profitable company when you can spend zero on marketing. Um, we market individuals, okay. so we empower individuals to speak, the, you know, speak about Harden. And... Yeah, so it's you know we don't take out ads, we don't focus on other components. Uh, we just try to have good work, and we try to make sure that anybody who works with Harden will be a referral for our business. Wow, that's I mean that's powerful stuff. <laughs> it's ju- it's just that straightforward. So the things that we panic about is anytime we do have a client who's frustrated with our work, uh, who thinks they've been overcharged or or frustrated with a line of code that we write, we go back to that individual and 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 work through those nu- those numbers with them. Um, we try to diagnose every single customer that we lose. Mm. We go through a critical analysis to say and. You know, by the way, you start to, you also learned some projects are were, you know, maybe doomed from the beginning. But how do we make sure that we never have that mistake again? And because of that, our retention rate here is incredibly, incredibly high. I mean, we're talking, you know, some years going into ninety to a hundred percent customer wow. retention, and we accomplish that, you know, by delivering a good product. I I believe it. That's wild to be working with companies at that scale and, and really maintaining those relationships and fostering those relationships and getting that word of mouth business because that's I mean in my opinion that the highest form of marketing is, is getting your, your customers to do it for you so we try to make folks excited yeah. whether it's about working at Harden whether it's about the products that we're building the culture that we that we've built around and and that's what's paying it forward for us hmm. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. Now we've been, we've been talking briefly before about some of the uh, relationships and some of the really cool people that you've gotten to meet over your life. And I, I know our younger listeners are going to get a little bit out of this. So could you talk about some of the, um, the wildest individuals that you've met? I know you met Jeff Bezos's brother at one point, um, but just some funny stories about, about big names that you've come into contact with. Yeah. So what, what I will say is that, you know, if you put yourself out there and you do good work, you know, you will end up meeting a lot of interesting individuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's been unique for myself is the trajectory that I took. Uh, I at you know, we ended up having the company that essentially was a co-founder of first one when I was 19 years old, second one uh, when I was 20, 21-ish time frame. Um, the ran for public office when I was 23 years old, when the company mm-hmm. started to, when Hardin started to solidify, ran for public office. I won my first election, which made me the youngest city council member of any major metropolitan city at the age of 23. I was reelected when I was 25. Uh, and then when I was 27, uh, was not only elected into leadership of the city council in Madison, but then later ran for mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, made it through the primary. Currently, you're not speaking to the mayor of Madison, <laughs> but I got to be mayor of the day, for the day, which was a cool experience nevertheless. So, you know, because of that, you know, the ideas that I was bringing forth politically during the time of how do you make Madison a more equitable place of the future? How do you make us a platform of innovation? How do you bring those big disruptive ideas to City Hall and simultaneously running a company mm. talking about big disruptive ideas yeah. uh, from a technology standpoint, it, it, it created a, a, you know, a, a layer that allowed me to meet some really interesting and cool people. Um, um, everyone, everything from you know, Elon Musk on, on down. Um, but what I would say about that is, you know, people get really excited by one-on-one interactions, or you know, the fact that you you got to say hi to you know, the CEO of Netflix for you know two minutes at yeah. most, or you know, you, you could congratulate Elon on on the products that he's building. You know, those aren't meaningful or authentic relationships. No. But the, the 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 ones where that you do get very excited for, and the people that I still keep in contact with, you know, might not be at the the highest you know visibility level of their field, but it's the ones where those visible leaders turn to for thought leadership hmm. and those are the ones that that I draw energy from and new big ideas from hmm. 100% and even even if they're not like the most grandiose public figure like they, they could still they, there's so many valuable people out there and so many really smart people that don't take the time to build up some kind of like social presence well, well yes and and even further than that uh, I, I can list you a handful of companies and you likely can tell me their CEO. If sure. I say Amazon, Microsoft, uh, you know Tesla. But if I turn around and say, so who's their CTO? Mm. Or who's really in charge of this particular product inside mm. an organization? And you can start to do that in companies that you really truly follow, whether like the Waymo CEO mm-hmm. or who's running this division of whether it's SpaceX or Blue Origin. You you may get to, sure. down to that point, 
but they have a whole team of individuals, sometimes thousands of employees who are the ones who are actually on the ground yeah. tinkering with the code or working on the new rocket fuel or figuring out, you know, the scientists who are actually trying to take, you know, um, DNA from plant and life sciences and putting them into genetically modified organisms <laughs> to try to grow, you know, walls and fabrics that are out of spider cell you know <laughs> spider cell fabric you know, you you know that might be a scientist in the lab so i think we get enamored at the really big names on mm. top but it's almost always a, other individuals in the organizations that are really the thought leadership mm. um, and to create the core um of, of companies very interesting and that comes back to knowing what you're looking for and what uh, you're working on and what could really benefit you at that stage in time and knowing where to look like what projects are doing things that you think you could really pull from then figuring out like who is actually on that project like not the person at the top like the head honcho but like who is actually on the ground executing and creating that vision exactly hmm. 100% with you on that. Well, Scott, I've got some questions that I like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up. You feel mm -hmm. ready for them? I'm ready for it. Awesome. The first of which is what are you excited about right now? This can be anything in the wider realm, can be in your business, can be anything in the world that you're excited about. So I recently had a son and uh, he's now eight and a half months old oh and I am excited that he is going to experience space travel in his lifetime. <laughs> and that's just a wild, crazy thought. Uh, I'm in my 30s. I might miss the window because by the time it becomes commercially available where I'd be able to afford it, mm. I might have just missed my peak. <laughs> but he's going to be able to travel uh, into outer space and to new reaches that our humanity has never been you know, able to do outside of the very few astronauts that, That's that, wild. that, that are otherwise reached this. You know, reached wow. Out, you know. Never, never even considered how that was developing. I'm going to have to stay more up to date on my my space travel news. <laughs> yeah. The next of which is um, what what habits do you have that have served you particularly well? These can be business habits, lifestyle habits, or anything that you do on like a routine basis. So weird quirks that I have. Sure. Uh, so what does what are the weird quirks that my team harass me about? <laughs> One, uh, I listen to a ton of podcasts, almost never in single speed, almost in, oh, always in in always time and a half or double. Yeah. I don't drink coffee. I, Same. Yeah. I, I don't think I've had a, a single glass. I am always trying to find a way to learn something new, primarily from industries that I have no knowledge of. Huh. And, and figuring out how those cross-disciplinary ideas may apply to business. Mm. So I would say those are sort of the three quirks that I have. Huh. Do you have any examples of industries that you've been pulling from lately? Or anything that comes to mind of like a, a really out there example? I, I've been very interested how technology will change other traditional businesses. And this is a, when you think about politics, for example, sure. or how we communicate. Uh, this goes back to my days at, at City Hall. You know, what happens if City Hall was run by a number of technologists? And you could try to figure out your customer of how do you best service you know, that taxpayer. Um, if you're trying to deal with homeless services, for example, how do you make sure that the paperwork is as easy as possible to make sure that someone has services? How do you use digital displays to communicate where homeless shelters or resources are available? Mm -hmm. How do you look at big, bold ideas on universal income, everything from universal income to... Uh, 
to tax credits, to certain types of wealth or income bonds uh, to ensure that everyone has opportunity. So, you know, it's usually, it blurs many different lines mm. of technology to public policy to the pragmatism of how do you get something like this accomplished, um, but how do you approach problems differently for today's time? Very interesting. I, I like that approach a lot, and I'm definitely going to have to start pulling more from, from different disciplines because um, I think that's a very valuable right, place to Right look. now, I am focused tremendously on how did public policy change uh, due to the economy in the industrial and agricultural revolutions. So if you think about it, during previous time periods, we would see giant leaps in our, our, our economy, sure. where folks would be moving from the countryside, where a majority of folks were, to the city. Mm-hmm. Well, how did that change our sanitation laws? Uh. How, because now we have more kids working in factories, we should put in child welfare laws. We should ensure that everyone has a right to a proper and free education, uh, that we should send kids to high school for free. <laughs> like That came about because of large economic changes that were happening in society. Well, we are under that same type of revolution right now with AI, with automation, with the new industrial and digitalization of our our nation. Why have we made those same kinds of leaps and bounds policies to make sure that future generations are properly protected? And I think we're at a really exciting crux there. So right now, I'm taking lessons of history, of, mm. pa- of history of science, history of public policy, and trying to apply and fig- history of education and how will that change now in the digital economy? Hmm. Very, very interesting. I'm going to have to go back and, and re-listen to that and really, really <laughs> soak it in. Um, the, the next thing is is one of the things that I do in my business that is, I, I think, fairly unique is every day I'll, I'll go on Instagram, I'll go into my direct messages, and I'll send five to ten video direct messages, pull up my phone, record a quick video of myself, introducing myself to like five of my new followers. And I'll just be like, hey, my name's Apple. Um, thanks for the follow. Here's what I do. If there's any way that I can help you out, let me know. Have a wonderful day. And I'll like introduce myself personally. I'll, I'll use their name. It's not something that I'm like mass producing. And that's inherently not scalable. Like I, I couldn't do that a million times. Like I couldn't just sit there all day recording these videos and sending them to people. Um, is there anything that comes to mind? Is it scalable though? I mean, I, I personally don't want to make it scale. Well, I want to make it have that personal touch. So here's why I would say it, okay. it, it can be scalable. So I had a close friend, Joe Sweeney, still a friend. Sure. Yeah. So Joe, <laughs> my, my buddy Joe ends every single conversation with the question, how can I help you? Hmm. And I think it's done well for him. It just falls into his personality. Sure. And sure enough, you'll have interesting conversations of just how humans can help other humans. Yeah. The way, and you would also say that that's not scalable. What I would challenge to say, yes, it is, because huh. I started doing the same exact thing several years ago. And now that I'm doing the same exact thing, isn't his model being scaled? So now that I've started doing it, if I get one or two other people saying, how can I help you at the end of conversations, then that's actually becoming scalable. So what I would, how I would be framing that is, you know, not saying, well, the, the, you know, this isn't scalable, but what happens if one or two of your other Instagram followers also start sending those same exact videos? And although it doesn't directly come back to you, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it really is that concept of helping others. So there are ways to make that 
scalable if you use that in a term that you think larger about. That's very interesting. I've been thinking very narrowly about the word scalable and I really had never put it in that context before. So that's a very it's a very interesting way to think about that and that's something that I'm gonna have to have to rethink about when I when I frame that and, and really think about that practice. Um, but but my question was gonna be is there anything in your business that you do that I guess scalable is not the right word, but like has that has that personal touch or something that couldn't be replicated? So I go in with the mentality. Uh, I think it's Brad, whether it's Brad Feld or others that I've taken this from, but to pay it forward. Hmm. And I think that's a very personal touch to say that entrepreneurship and the startup has treated me well. It's treated my wife well and indirectly now my, my son yeah. and, and future generations so I just try to reach out and do good work I try to help other entrepreneurs when I can and and be there to make that one introduction mm. I, I re- often tell entrepreneurs you can take my phone imagine if all of those contacts were your contacts <laughs> who do you need to be introduced to and every once in a while I get burned by that but, <laughs> Nine times out of ten, it works out fairly well. What I what I would say is, you know, that personal touch is is what individuals associate with Harden, but it's also, you know, in this millennial culture, that's about me and that's something that's personal. Just like you know, reaching out with individual videos is something that is uniquely to yourself and that you would bring to any organization that you're being mm-hmm. part of. Find out what are what are those one or two things that people want to say about you, mm. and what is the story that not only you want to project, but the story that you want to be authentically true. And that doesn't happen overnight. And by the way, if you have a story that isn't meaningful or doesn't feel real or feels fake or or obtuse, like then that won't be the message that's end that's that's told about you. But mm. really think through that, and if. You know, if someone is going to think something about me, I, I want them to say is he's someone who will help out others. Wow. Scott, you've been dropping value bomb after value bomb on our listeners today. Where can people go if they want to find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, what are the best places to follow up to you at? Uh, SJ Resnick on Twitter. Uh, you okay. can find very random rants about entrepreneurship, the state of the startup <laughs> economy, every once in a while, how well the bucks are doing, and and the latest news on the brewers. All right, perfect. Well, I will link that up in the show notes for our listeners. Scott, any last words of wisdom for our listeners today? I think you got everything out of me. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, Scott. I really do appreciate it. Um, and thank you for joining us here on Young Smart Money. Take care. Awesome. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Young Smart Money. Again, if you guys did enjoy the show, do remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us get in front of more people with the show. It helps you hear from even more amazing guests. It just makes the world go round when you do smash that five-star in iTunes. And if you guys want me to shout you out in my Instagram story, I am always up for that. So if you send a screenshot of your review to Apple Crater Official on Instagram, shoot me a DM of that or just tag me in it. Would love to repost it on my short story and give y'all a shout out there. Otherwise, I hope you guys do have a wonderful day, whether you're out walking the dog, whether you are at the gym, whatever you are up to on this fine day. I hope it is a splendid one and I will see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Real quick, just launched a new project called the Online Course Examiner, basically the Yelp of online courses. It is blowing up lately, onlinecourseexaminer.com 
check it out.